0: Fine. Amber, I'm not Kevin, no. Can you make her put that thing away? Amber put that thing away. Whatever. I'm actually nervous. <sighs> they were talking about it all just being some downsizing. Amber, put that thing away. Why? You're always telling me what to because do. Because we are going to have a meal I as a know. family. I'm going to sit. And you're going I to talk know, to us as a family. Like no, why do you, you let her talk share. to you that That's way? Okay. you are her father, you need to man up and you need I to make board. her, her love you. I, I drive, why can uh, we I'm not? Ready? Ready? I no, idea. I am. I, I, I tried to share, make a nice meal for family. To Mala to love, find maybe somebody Uh, Now that was all done by our staff at River Valley. We thought of it, shot it, acted in it, and the only help we had was the entertainers from Valley Fair. On their day off, they helped our church out. Isn't that amazing? They outdid themselves this time. Yeah. And uh, if you're new to River Valley Church, welcome. Here we are, you know. Oh, man. We're going to talk about family today, and we're going to have some fun with it. We're going to talk about some serious topics, but we're going to look into God's Word. And today we're going to talk about dysfunctional families, all right? Dysfunctional families. And there's a few of them in the Bible. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn me to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look at this family that uh, is highly dysfunctional and see what we can learn in our own lives. And uh, some of us come from dysfunctional families, and I think all of our families have a little bit of dysfunction in them. They're not perfect but they should be trying to be a little bit more how God intended them to be. And uh, hopefully in this series, this will help us to, uh, again, make those steps so we can be proud of our family, we can be proud of where we've come from, and uh, anticipate where we're going. Now, before I get into Genesis 37, let me tell you this. Romans 15, 4 says, "...the scriptures were written to teach and encourage us by giving us hope." And I'm going to tell you this story that we're going to look at today in Genesis 37 is a clear example of this. It's a story of a family, very, very dysfunctional. And it's written, I believe, so that we could have hope. It's written so that we can look at this and say, if God can use them, if God can have a plan for them, he has a plan for my life. If God can rescue them, if God can change them, if God can get them to stop the dysfunction, then he can get the dysfunction stopped in my life. So we're going to look at that. Let me just explain. Family was God's idea. Family is God's idea, it was His idea, and He wants our families to bring glory and honor to His name, but a lot of the things that we do do don't. Now, in this series, we're going to talk to all sorts of families. We understand that the traditional family is mom, dad, and a couple of kids, but we understand today that we're ministering to families that uh, are single-parent homes, and if you are here and you're a single parent... And you took the time to get to church and get the kids ready. Can I just say, I applaud you and you deserve an applause right now. Can we applaud them right now? Seriously. Really. I mean, when I watch the kids and Becca's out of town, I'm like, how do single parents do this? So, glad you're here. But we realize also there are blended families that are here. And we understand that that is really prominent right now in society. And we want to minister to blended families. We know that there are families here that are battling addictions. We know that there are families here that are trying to expand their family, but for some reason, they they haven't been able to have that child. We know that there's all sorts of families here, and I want to let you know that this is not just a um, suburban, traditional family sermon where only the mom, dad, and two kids are going to get something out of this. This is for everybody where you're at today. And I realize that um, there's all sorts of dysfunction in families, and I want to explain really quick what I mean by dysfunctional family. I have, a, I have a definition of this written down here, and it says um, a dysfunctional family is a family in which conflict, misbehavior, and often abuse on the part of individual members occur continually and regularly, leading other members to accommodate such actions. Children sometimes grow up in such families with the understanding that such an arrangement is normal. And sadly, many children then repeat this behavior in their own home. So that's what we're talking about with a dysfunctional family, where there are behaviors that are not normal. They are not normal behaviors, but because in our dysfunction, we think that's normal. And I even had somebody last night came up to me with tears in her eyes, and she said, my family was so dysfunctional. But until I married my husband, I didn't realize what a true family was supposed to be. And for the last few years, we've been working through the dysfunction of my life, and I'm so thankful that I married a guy like this. And I want to tell you, that's not, it's not normal to stay in your dysfunction, and I'm praying that you'll find the hope that God offers, the way that He wants your family to be. Because if, if you don't hear the hope, if you don't find the way that He wants you to be, you'll most likely repeat it you will most likely repeat it. You'll either do one of two things. You'll either say, I will never be like my mom and dad, or by default in the crisis moment, you'll act just like them. So we don't want that dysfunction to continue. We want to give hope. We want to have people see that there's an opportunity for healing and for hope today. So uh, Genesis 37. Here's a story. Um, Let me just set it up for just a minute. We're looking at a guy. His name is Jacob. Um, He has... Twelve sons and one daughter. And I want you, as I read this text, look for the dysfunction that is going on in this family uh, and be able to pick it up. I won't point it out right away, but I'll read the text. And then I want you to go ahead and grab hold of it and say, all right, uh, that was one, that was one, that was another. So Genesis 37, starting in verse 2. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Let me just stop for a minute. The bad report that he brought his dad was, he said, Dad, uh, my brothers are starting to follow other gods. They're not staying true to our God. And, and Joseph was a man of God and wanted to serve God. And his brothers were kind of wandering. And so he wasn't being like a tattletale, like they were fighting with each other. He was saying, Dad, I'm concerned. My brothers are not walking the faith like you're teaching it, and it breaks my heart. So he brought a bad report about him. It says, Now Israel, and just so you know, Israel is another name for Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So you can catch some of the dysfunction going on here. But it continues. The dad said, go check on your brothers. I want you to go out to the field, see how they're doing, go check on them. And in the same chapter in verse 19, the brothers are speaking. They say this, oh, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert. Don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Now I'll continue telling you the story, but if you want to read it, you can read it later in Genesis 37. What happens then? The brothers are sitting down, and he's down in the pit. He's down there kind of like, okay, guys, prank is over. Come on, guys. Let me out. And they're up there thinking, what can we do with him? what can we do? We're just going to leave him there to die. And they see this traveling group going by. They say, you know what we should do? We should sell our brother into slavery. Has anybody ever been tempted to sell a brother or sister? You know, you know, and that's what they do. Like, let's sell him. Let's not just leave him there and kill him. Let's make some money off of our brother. So they go and do this. They actually sell their brother into slavery and then take his coat, rip it up, dip it in blood and go back to their dad and say, dad, He's dead. We don't know what happened, but he's dead. That's a lot of dysfunction. And some of you are saying, oh no, Pastor Rob, that's really not that much dysfunction. (laughs) I mean, my family's got way more than that. All right, just wait. I'll give you some more, all right? There's hope no matter how dysfunctional your family is because as we go into this next part, I guarantee you when I tell you this part of the story in the background, you're going to be hearing, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. I mean, these guys should be on the show. I'm just saying, all right? He lives in a house with three stepmoms. Yes, you heard me right, three stepmoms. They practice polygamy. His mom died giving birth to his younger brother. So his mom is not in the home, but he has three stepmothers that are all jealous of each other. They're all jealous because they all want to have more kids than the other one. So every time they have a, a child, they pray around the house. I had another one. I had another one. Na, 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 na. Okay, and so that's going. To, that's dysfunctional. Okay, but it gets worse. In the midst of this, he has one sister. This sister is raped by another group of traveling guys that are going through their area, and their sister is raped, and their dad does nothing about it. So the boys are so upset that dad won't do anything because his daughter was raped. They said, somebody's got to rise up and do something about this. We're going to go kill the guys that raped our sister. And so they get up and go and kill the guys that raped their sister. Dysfunction is starting to rise, but that's not where it ends. Reuben, one of the sons, goes and has an affair with one of his stepmom. How many can say that's dysfunctional? Okay? There's hope in this. And, I, and when I see a story like this, I can't help but say that God had to have inspired the writing of the Bible, because nobody would air their dirty laundry like this. Nobody would say, you know, hey, this is the great line. This is the chosen people. This is where Jesus is coming from. This is the line. And look at how dysfunctional they are, unless God wanted to give us hope. Unless God wanted to say, like Romans 15, that it was written for an example, it's there to give you hope, that I'm dealing with imperfect people, that I'm dealing with people that I've got a plan for, that I love taking people that are dysfunctional and bringing them into beautiful creations, it has to be. So let's get hope from this passage and from the dysfunction that's here. Now, I want to point out this, that in the midst of this dysfunction, Joseph does well. Joseph does well. Joseph eventually is sold into slavery, like we saw. He goes and actually does a little prison time, adding to the dysfunction. So he's an ex-con. He goes and interprets the dream for Pharaoh and becomes second in command in Egypt. And in the midst of this, God uses Joseph to save his family someday because there's a major famine, and they come and find him, and God uses him to save his family, and he turns out great. So there is hope in our dysfunction. I believe God has a plan for you. I believe God has a plan for every one of us, and in our dysfunction, God wants to bring us through it to a position where he can use us to minister to others. So I look at this here, and I see, first of all, that Joseph had imperfect parents, and I want to speak to the parents for just a minute about some of the dysfunction that I see in Jacob's life as a parent. First of all, we talked about the the jealous stepmoms, you know, going on, it's terrible when jealousy is in the home. We've got a dad, though, that's inactive. We have a dad that won't rise up. We have a dad that when his boys want to kill the one boy, he doesn't do anything about it. When they can't say a good word about their brother, he does nothing about it. I don't know about you, but my mom and dad would bring us in the room, you two are going to get along. Matter of fact, move rooms. You're now rooming together. You know, we're like, no! Man, this guy is inactive, though. He doesn't want to be involved. He won't stop the problem. He won't discipline. And he's too preoccupied to deal with his family. And if you're a parent here and you're too preoccupied to deal with your family, you're missing it. You're missing it. You are required to be the parent that God has called you to be, to be actively involved, to be engaged, to discipline, to be the example, to to have the energy. And some of you come home from work and you're so tired. And you lay down, I'm too tired. The kids are running around the house. They're beating each other. They're running with knives. And you're like, kids will be kids. You know, I'm, I'm tired, you know. It's wrong. It's wrong. You need to be engaged. And we could see from this example, it's the wrong thing. You was not engaged and you have to be engaged. Matter of fact, you have to discipline. It's your role to be the disciplinarian. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says this, A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Let me say that again. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. If you love them, you'll discipline them. If you love them, you'll be proactive in their life. If you love them, you'll give the energy like you need to give. That's what the Bible says. I got to tell you this. I sat down with our kids ministry this week. I sat down with our department, all of our staff, from our kids ministry and our youth ministry, and I said, guys, talk to me. What, what should I address in this series? You know what they said was the number one prayer request right now? They said the number one prayer request in this tight economy, in this tough economy, is kids go up and they say, my mom and dad are working all the time. We don't see mom and dad that much. And when they come home, they're just not playing with us, and they're not there, and they need me time. And they're trying to figure out what me time is. Because they know what play time is, but they don't know what me time is. And they don't understand when mom and dad don't get up off the couch and when mom and dad don't spend time with them. And that was one of the number one prayer requests that kids have right now. And I'm speaking to all of us here. We have got to have the energy for our family. I know that work has high demands. I know that it's a tough economy and it might require more hours with less pay. But I'm saying you cannot sacrifice your family right now. You've got to invest in them, and you've got to see an example that if you don't pay attention to your family, they'll start drifting away. The dysfunction will continue, and it'll grow, and we have to be fully present. I think we need to start setting down our cell phones at dinner, putting away the laptop and the iPad, and I know I'm just as guilty. Stop twittering, stop blogging, stop taking phone calls, stop texting, and let's be fully present when our family is there. Am I the only one that needed that? Because I think we need that. I think we need that. And I confess to you, I'm living that way, and I've got to set it down and be fully, fully present for my family. Another thing that we see is dad was not doing the right thing because he's showing favoritism. And if I could say this, you can't show favorites. You can't. You cannot show favorites. You have to love each of your children equally but different. Equally but different. And if I can explain this, love does not divide love multiplies. doesn't matter how many kids you have, love does not divide. It's like, well, we got 12 kids, and you only got one twelfth of my love. You know, what happens is 12 kids equals 12 times 100, okay? It multiplies. And I didn't understand it before we had kids. I thought we had one child. I thought, oh, how could I ever love another child more than this? And you have another one, and you're like, I love them both 100%, and now I love 200%. Do you see what I'm saying? Love does not divide. Love multiplies. And you can't have favorites. And I know that now, now, Joseph was favored because he was godly, and we don't usually favor our kids because they're godly. In this society, you know what we favor our kids for? Sports. Sports. Oh, we got three children. We've got Lisa, we've got Tom, and we've got Bill, but Bill is all American. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. You know? Hallelujah. Let's all go to his games, and let's go to the, Your panel recital, sorry, we couldn't make it, but we can go to the game. That's how we live. And we say, oh, you're the sports one. You're the one. And it's almost like we get this validation from our friends and our people at the high school or the middle school or whatever, like, yep, that's my boy. That's my girl, diving champion. Yep, yep. And it's almost like we wear the badge more than they do. Let's not have favorites. Let's love the kids that are into music. Let's love the kids that are into sports. Let's love the kids that are into computers. We're all going to be working for them anyways, right? You know, (laughs) let's love them all. And let's let them be what they want to be. Let's let them be what they want to be. In our baby dedication ceremony, we we say, your dreams die and God's plan is going to happen. When you have your child, you say, oh, you're going to be the best this, the best this, the best that, the best this. And we say in that ceremony, you're going to let that go. And you're going to let God's plans prevail. Love them. Let them be what God wants them to be. And let's have unconditional love in the home. Unconditional love. One leading psychologist said, we have no idea how important it is that our kids know that they are unconditionally loved. That they are unconditionally loved. That they grow up in that environment, in that home, and they feel that unconditional love. And that emotional well-being of our children is crying out for it. Let's love them and let's not have favorites. You may not know this, but... Joseph, by wearing this coat, this coat was symbolic of being the boss of not having to do manual labor. Here's what you don't know, but in their culture, what would happen is kids were given short sleeve shirts and shorts. That's all they were given. Why? Because they were going out to the field to work. And so they were given earth-tone outfits that were short sleeve shirts and shorts. That's what they had because they were going out into the dirt. So when Jacob plays favorites with his son, he gives him a long sleeve robe with a long hemline, and it goes all the way down to the ground, and it's multicolor, so it says, I don't work. You work, I don't. And so you can see that favoritism, and when we're showing favoritism to our kids, we're saying to them, they're more important and you're not. And you can see the kids were resentful, which leads me to them being imperfect brothers. They were imperfect brothers. They couldn't even speak to each other. They couldn't speak to each other. They were so angry. And trust me, with three younger brothers and a sister, uh, a stepsister in our family, I'll tell you what, we have times where we couldn't speak to each other, where we're screaming over the phone. We're hanging up the phone. We're like, fine, don't come to Christmas, you know, yeah. (laughs) You've been there too, right? They couldn't speak to each other. They want to kill them. They sell them. Man, they're not a good family. The one brother that doesn't want to kill him, well, you're thinking, like, oh, well, he's pretty good. Well, he's the one that went and had the affair with the stepmom. I mean, they're all bad, all right? And in the midst of this, they're, they're just imperfect. And I got to say this that if I could speak to blended families for just a moment, one of the hardest things that is for a blended family is trying to discipline trying to discipline, trying to figure out you do it this way, I do it that way, and we got these kids and those kids, and we're trying to figure it out. And I think that must have been going on here because there are multiple wives and there are multiple kids, and they, they have the jealousy going on and who's with who and all this. And if you're in that situation as a blended family, get help. Speak to your pastor. Speak to a counselor. Speak to somebody that will help you to get through that process because God doesn't want your family to be dysfunctional like that. If you haven't spoken to your family members, I'm just speaking to you. God doesn't want you to keep it that way. God doesn't want you to keep it that way. God wants you to speak to your family. He wants you to work through your dysfunction. He wants you to be able to find the healing, and he wants you to be able to talk to each other. It may have been an inheritance that went wrong. It may have been that somebody just did something terrible to your spouse, and you're thinking, I can't forgive it. You may be the black sheep on the outside, but God is saying he wants you to work through your dysfunction, and there's hope here. Because ultimately, Joseph and his brothers were reunited, and I believe God would have that same hope for you. Now, Joseph himself wasn't perfect, okay? So let's own up to our part of the dysfunction, okay? It's really easy to say them, them, mom and dad, they all did that. But he wasn't perfect. I can point this out to you. At best, Joseph was naive, okay? Like, hey, guys, how's it going? I got my coat of many colors, you know? It's kind of a, <laughs> just naive, and at worst, he's arrogant, right? Because he's like, "Hey, look at me! You guys working? Y'all dirty. I'm not dirty, huh? Look at that." I mean, he's arrogant. So, I mean, when I read this text, I realized that Joseph had no Minnesotan in him at all. You know, because how many know a Minnesotan would be like, "You know, I'm sure Dad has one for you too, and you know, you know, why don't you wear it today? I'll, I'll, let's change clothes today. I'll wear yours. You wear mine." You know, a Minnesotan. This Joseph was all L.A. You know what I'm saying? He's all L.A. He's just like, "I got it." Yeah. You know? So he owns up. He's got to own up to his part. And let me speak to you. You might right now be saying, yeah, Pastor Rob, that's all. The dysfunction of my family, their fault, their fault, their fault. Own up to your part. What's your part? What's your part of the dysfunction that God wants to change? Because God wants to change the dysfunction. God wants you to just get to that spot where he can use you. And God's saying, you know what? You have part of the process too. Now, let me point this out. Joseph goes to Egypt, and here's where the hope is. Joseph goes to Egypt, and in all the dysfunction of his family, and all the dysfunction of his mom, his dad, his brothers, himself, he realizes, I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to live this way. I'm going to stand up for righteousness. And if ever there was a guy that could have said, you know what, I'm so dysfunctional, I should just give in to the dysfunction, this guy would be the guy. If ever there was a guy that should have fallen for the sins that were thrown at him, he should have done it. Because in Genesis 39, we see a story of a lady that was throwing herself at him. She was saying, my husband's out of town, come and sleep with me. And he says, I'm not going to do it. Now, if ever there was somebody that could say, you know what, my dad was dysfunctional, had lots of wives, polygamy. My brother had an affair with my stepmom. I think it's in the genes, you know. I mean, if ever there was a guy that could do that, this was the guy. And he said, not me not me, it stops here. It stops here and I'm gonna fight against this, this dysfunction. I'm gonna be a man of God no matter what. And I would say to you that somebody has to stand up in your home and you're not here by accident today. Somebody has to stand up in the home and say, not here, not now, not anymore, it ends here. And I stand before you as a second generation follower of Jesus Christ my mom and dad stood up and said it ends here what ends here what ended here was I have a sister that was is my stepsister my mom had a baby before she was married from another guy what ends here is abuse in our family what ends here is the fact that many of my close relatives were in prison what ends here is that one of my uncles committed suicide What ends here is dysfunction and abuse that when grandma and grandpa would come to visit, mom would say, don't leave me alone with grandma and grandpa. Well, she said, it ends here. We're going to stand up for righteousness. We're going to stand up for God. Whatever was in the family doesn't go any further, and it stops here. And I believe you're the one here that says, it ends here. It ends here. My family is going to be different. I'm going to find the hope in Jesus Christ. I'm going to find the hope that says the next chapter will be better than the last chapter and the ending is going to be the grand finale and it's going to be good and the future is prosperous and joyful and harmony and my household and my kids and my grandkids will be raised in the ways of the Lord and they'll be able to say, well, the reason we're so godly is because it started there. I believe that's for us today. I believe that. So let's not quit. Let's not quit. Let's realize today is the day that we stand up and we say we grab hope from this totally dysfunctional family. We thank you, God, that there was a good ending in it, that Joseph saved his brother, saved his family, but God, there's still hope for us today. It was written for an example, and we grab hold of that hope today. And so I want to pray a prayer of hope over every family. We will not embarrass you. We will not make you say what your dysfunction is. But I believe all of us have a little something in there. And right now I want to pray that God will give us hope. God will give us healing. And that those of us that are here will say, we're here for a reason. It stops here. So Lord Jesus, I pray right now that we would stand up we would say that it stops here. And many have already done that. I look out and I see uh, generation after generation of godliness and I'm just so excited for that. Uh, I'm envious in a good way because I see second and third and fourth generation families here that love you God. I want that for my family. I know there are people here that want that for their family. They are here and they are generation one. Generation one and they say now, now my family, I will change that, it will be different. So God I speak hope and faith and victory over them in Jesus' name that they will be the ones that will rise up and say we'll fix it, we'll fix it, it's not normal, godliness is normal, there's something better for me that God has for me and I will pursue that godliness with all my heart. I will not be a dad that disengages, I will not be a mom that looks the other way. I will not be a brother that hates my brothers or sisters. I will not be someone that owns the dysfunction in my life and just lets it sit there, but I will change. But God, I speak to us all, and I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us and give us the victory to change, the victory to stand up, and the victory to write the last chapter differently, Lord. Give us hope. Give us hope. I speak to the people here that came and they were hopeless, They were just grabbing that card and they were wondering if there was hope. They were wondering if there'd be healing. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd show them that there is hope. Feel them, let them feel your presence, drawing them to you, Lord Jesus, so they can know that there's hope today. We pray for the wife that is wondering if her husband will ever find faith. God, I pray she would never give up, never give up. I pray for those that are so distant from their family, they don't even know how to break the ice. God, help them to figure it out. Give them the wisdom how to make the call and do something different. But God, we draw hope in you. We draw hope in you. And we ask for that hope. We believe in that hope. And we stand on that hope knowing that you desire for our families to be good. You desire for our families to be whole. You desire good things for us in Jesus' name. So I thank you for that. I ask it and believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we all stand across this place?